I hope I don't cry, though. You look like you're gonna cry already. You cannot play God, then wash your hands of the things that you've created. Sooner or later, the day comes when you can't hide from the things that you've done anymore. Welcome back to another week of Beers, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica, where we, your co-hosts, Kaylee and Lisa, take you through the sci-fi original series, Battlestar Galactica, episode by episode. And Ellen is back! Yes, bitches. It's so good. We're really happy to have her back on the show. Yep, yep, yep. And oh, Always entertaining. Oh my goodness. I'm always so happy that of all the people to come back, that it was her. Yay. Because um, she's amazing. What are we drinking? I feel like we should go What are we drinking? You uh, you provided these lovely beers for us today. For, first and foremost, we're drinking cold brew because it's today it's brews, beers, beets, Battlestar Galactica. Brews, beers, beets. Yes, because we have a long night ahead of us. So we thought Some coffee. Some of us might be hungover. I don't know. Some of us might be. Mm. Not me, though, this time. Surprisingly shocking twist it's me yeah i've been hung over many <laughs> times okay so this beer that i have is ooh, which was appropriate <laughs> it is by other half and seller maker and i thought the other half was also quite good mm, i think we've had them also before yes uh this is super local Mm-hmm. Center Street, Brooklyn, baby. Amazing. And then little broccolis on it. I don't know why the broccoli is there. It I doesn't taste like broccoli. broccoli. Beer. Well, I, I Do we think this is like hops again or something and it also looks like a vegetable? No, I think... That looks like broccoli, It's right? broccoli. Okay. But I don't taste any broccoli overtones. They're very cute little but broccolis. But they're very cute and I'm not sure why they're there. Uh, and then the second beer that we have is called... It's got a really weird label, actually. It's called Even More Grasp, which is appropriate, again, because we're just learning so much. It's like a very exposition-heavy episode. But also there's some grasping that happens there is some grasping. in these episodes. And it's by Evil Twin Brewing, uh, nice. also we in like New York them. City. We do. It's actually a 17% beer. It's an imperial stout brewed with Ethiopian geisha village coffee and roasted hazelnuts dear god i'm excited to try this it looks you didn't tell me all about that coffee incredible. and hazelnut nonsense uh, i really picked it for the name but then i brought i bought it and it was like 12 dollars <laughs> which like i'm on a budget i, I was like holy <laughs> i'll buy you i'll buy you a drink tonight uh and i looked then i was like shit this must be some hell of a beer and then i looked on the label and it's like 17 percent. no wonder why it's like four beers yeah no, so, I think that'll do us. Absolutely. I can't believe we considered picking up more beer. No, I don't think we'll need any. <laughs> considering we're recording, like, we can talk about the fourth wall later because it will come up. But considering we're recording, recording two episodes in a row today, because uh, we are, again, trying to cram in some before Kaylee, sadly, leaves the tri-state area. Yeah. So we are recording two today. So let's get into our beat by beat. Amazing. We are talking about season four, episode 15, No Exit. Which, what what do you think that refers to, that name, Kaylee? Tell me about it. Oh, maybe a little, a little play by Mr. Jean-Paul Sartre. <laughs> Such a hard name to say it without is. sounding like a wanker. <laughs> Can you say it? You Sartre? did all that French. That sounds pretty good. I actually don't it's think hard I can to, say it well. It's hard to pronounce French well in the middle of an English sentence. It certainly is. Yeah. I actually, like, I had a really big, like, Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir phase. Mm. There's this book, which is actually by an Australian academic called Tete a Tete, and it's all about their relationship, which, like, is actually fucked. But 
it was like really, it was a really interesting relationship. And I like read that book and I was like, oh my God, I was just like super like smart, but then like weirdly insecure couple who were like also open and in different places. And they used to write each other these letters. And so there's like a whole book of the letters to each other. Yeah. I had a phase of them. Yeah. That sounds like a thing to be obsessed with. Yeah. I mean, it's just a normal thing you get obsessed with, right? <laughs> it's a standard, standard little, anyway. I'm a nerd. We we established it. If you weren't a nerd, you would not have the cred to host this podcast. Absolutely. So Absolutely. The more that gets proven, the better it Did is. Did you try a beer? Can I'm you a- taste the broccoli? <laughs> interesting. Mm. Hmm. It is interesting. It's very quite light, actually, for an IPA. I think. It's light. It has. Well, maybe like, it's just because um, I've been drinking coffee. It's like kind of light, but kind of rich at the same time. Mm. Mm. That's good. It's I already spilled some on the bed. Rich and uh, I don't know green. Verdant, which is also green. <laughs> it's green, but it's like a French green. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this episode was written by Ryan Motsherd and directed by Gwyneth Horder Payton. And these are both one timers on Battlestar Galactica. It's interesting that they would do that this late into the game. It is. I'm curious about the process. It seems to me like at this stage they were maybe already Caprica was in the works. They were already doing Caprica. Yeah. So I think the riding team was a little more split than they had been previously. Ah. I think people who were brought on for Caprica were maybe brought in also for the the tail end of BSG. Interesting. One thing Ronald D. Moore does say kind of in one of these two podcasts is that he it was like at this point where he started to not check out, but he was certainly like thinking a lot about the finale him personally Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if that has something to do with it as well and i think it's like it's the same thing that happens uh with buffy once like joss whedon had angel and had i think was it dollhouse was the next thing or was it firefly Firefly yeah that was going throughout the end of buffy yeah so just attentions get divided but um yeah i I think think he's like completely checked out like he was he wasn't even like just thinking about Caprica, it was more the finale he was more worried about than this. Like he sort of had put everything in place and then the finale was the most important. Um, it is a female director though. Yeah, and which we, never we have, those. have really been waiting for. I I don't recall if in the first two seasons you see one or more than one. Um, but I see many. don't remember if we have encountered a female director in all of our time together. I'm not sure. And it just, yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking a lot about this today because I was thinking about uh, when he was talking on his podcast about having this first time writer doing this. He didn't really speak a lot. Uh, didn't speak a great deal about the director, but I was thinking about the amount of times we've heard him say that he had a first time guy who was like, he just given the chance to, to write or direct. And I just, it kind of like, Made me feel a little sad because there's definitely an underrepresentation of women in the back of house stuff. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> definitely hospitality. Um, but I would have liked to mean. see. Like, I think the Ronald Dean has done a lot like for women. I think that the fact that Jane Espenson's a co-producer is great. But it's sort of this thing where I feel like people have someone like Jane or like Marty Noxon or whatever. And they're like, oh, look, see women. We have women. We have one. And I look would like us. to see a little bit more of the let's take a chance on this young female writer who's never done anything before, which I feel like we've had done like several times with the men at this point. Yeah, you're totally right. And so it's nice that he's done it with the director, but I would also just have liked to see, have seen him use that a lot more to kind of bring women in a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder, 
I wonder with the shows he's working on now if the uh, the writers' room and directing team is more diverse. Well, Outlander is based on a story by a woman, Which and is it good. is much more female focused. So yeah, I imagine yeah. that that's probably the case. I feel like he does, as far as I can tell, like change and grow a little bit more than some other people. <clears throat> Just Whedon. <laughs> who like continue to have like well also not yeah. proclaiming himself to be the world's greatest yeah, feminist absolutely like if you see like i'm excited about the nevers yeah thinking about what could maybe be done there but it's still a predominantly white cast it um, really it's is. still the same female producers that he's working with and it's the same character tropes that he is known for which obviously i enjoy because i am a buffy fan but it's like what else can you bring to the table there's also, I, I don't know, I've been reading people's opinions online and it's like the show doesn't even exist yet. So you kind of have to wait and see. But there's criticism of like, OK, well, you have one black female character and she's a criminal. Yeah. Like it's just yeah, a, for it's sure. a little iffy in 2019 when your reputation is slipping a bit yeah, in terms of how for sure. forward thinking you are. But I see this happen a lot with people who get like really popular and famous for something like an idea you see it a lot with um like prolific academics it's one of the reasons why i quite like adam grant because i feel like he does a good balance of like maintaining his research while also putting his ideas out there but he does more than just go on a speaker circuit and a lot of people will like have one really great idea and then they go on a speaker circuit and then people like really respect their opinion but they don't have time to sit with themselves and like think about things or research further or change or grow. And I feel like Joss Whedon's sort of done the same thing where he's just like stayed. He's like, oh yes, this works. So therefore it will always work. And this was enough in 1997. So it's enough now. Exactly. Um, I just had an argument on the internet with someone who I went to high school with about, Mm -hmm. um, oh, she said something really ridiculous, which was basically, oh, all of these Disney princesses being replaced by like black women it's so tokenistic and i was like isn't it oh, come one the fuck on and she was like oh yeah but then there's a woman in lady and the tramp and it doesn't even go with the period and i was like i'm sorry did hamilton not just blow that shit out of the park it's there's- a movie about talking dogs who fall in love um but the interracial couples are not realistic gaily oh dear god i know and so like <laughs> I don't know. I, I just said, I was like, there are better things for you to be worrying about than this. Like, it infuriates me. It's the same shit about the people who are all bent out of shape that Hermione on Broadway is played by a black actress. It was never like, said in the books. You're ruining my childhood. But it never no. said in the books that no. she was white. Right? And even J.K. And Rowling even came did, out. for fuck's sake. Yeah. Because, I mean, J.K. Rowling is always happy to come out and say that she's more woke than she ever was. But, I Thank mean, she does though. make a point. You can go through all of the books and at no point does it ever say that Hermione was white actually it kind of alludes to the fact that she was like dark ish skinned like tan ish skinned but you're used not. to seeing little emma watson and yeah. that's all you can think, think. and actually, now you're like that's not my hermione yeah it's ridiculous it's it's wi- and then, <laughs> it's wizards and magic yeah and then yeah. the yeah the other thing she said she's like oh if they replaced a, a person of, like a person of color with a white person i'm like the problem is is that all of the people of color stories or like women or minorities are all about their struggle as a person of color as a woman as a minority it's just like you cannot replace them because the whole fucking story is about them being a color i mean obviously things are getting better now anyway it was just a frustrating conversation you yeah, know it's arguments that like 
sometimes it's hard to even find the words to defend your point because you're like this shouldn't I shouldn't even have to put this into words but also like I mean her point was like oh it's just values like whatever and I'm like yeah if that's how it starts I just don't care like mm -hmm. I don't care if it's for the wrong reason I just want more representation in my film and television and ultimately all of this media that we consume is made for profit yeah like we can't avoid that capitalistic aspect of it so like take whatever you will about like oh we finally decided if we cast a black woman we'll make more money just let's go with it but also just over 10 percent of people in the world are white like just over 10 percent, and that is not reflected in the mass media that is consumed in like all the cultures that's so sure that's yeah so i don't think it's bad I think it's whatever. Um, but I think her point also was that they're doing that they're doing it all in remakes and it's like, oh, why bother? And it's like, well, because every movie at the cinema right now is a fucking remake. No <laughs> one's telling new stories. <laughs> yes. Get more stories from people of color, from women to like get into the cinema that are new because like every Please. single film right now, like you go to a cinema and you're like, is it the late 90s? <laughs> because it feels like it's the late 90s. Like every single fracking thing is exactly the same. End of rant. Let's get into it. Let's get into this here episode. Um, I will say for this one-time writer, I thought this was a beautifully written episode. Some of the dialogue is almost like poetic. I believe that Ronald D. Moore called it a doozy for a first mm. episode. Um, he also, he wrote some of the Ellen and Cavill scenes because they were re- originally on a disc, Quiet Follows My Soul. Oh, interesting. And then they decided that it didn't fit in so well. So he did hand those over to him. And he... Those were some of the meatiest bits. Yes, and there's actually a big monologue in there that I will read at some point that he had written that ended up being taken out, but he loved it so much that he read it on the podcast. Uh, So I'll read it out. I I also want to hear Ronald D. Moore say that aloud. All right, let's... Be Ellen Ty, basically. (laughs) Jump right in after we decided we weren't going to rant in this episode. Oh, yes. That was a good rant, though. I liked Mm -hmm. liked that rant. It was relevant. It was relevant and important. And these are the kind of conversations we should be having. We open with a brand new little, uh, Mm. this has all happened before and it will happen again. And we get a little Cylon history lesson. Yeah. And no previously on, which was intentional Mm. um, to be like, this is a different kind of episode. Mm. Yeah. Because like the whole episode is a previously on essentially. (laughs) It's a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. A lot Um, of exposition. Yeah. So we get little flashes of like the original model toasters and what happened 40 years ago. And just just in case we've all forgot, uh, we get a little reminder that our survivors in space started out at 50,298. So we are... uh, we're down over 10,000, right? Does over 15,000, I think. Or something we're like at 39,000 Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought we were 35. Now. Okay, yeah, no, over 10,000. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of deaths. And then we see 11 models. Choo, choo, choo. Flash, flash, flash. And then one was sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And then we flash back to the uh, the poisoning incident. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's followed by some like really matrixy looking It is very matrix. Uh, this effects. would be... Postmate. When did the well, Matrix come Matrix. out? Well, Postmatrix. Matrix. There's a new Matrix. one. Says me. I'm so that. sick With of Carrie everything being back the same. on board. <laughs> also, <laughs> culturally, we love Keanu Reeves even more than we did then. Oh my god. So I think it's going to be really fucking fun. I love Keanu Reeves <laughs> so much. I did you watch um the what's the comedy 
that he's in where he plays himself now. No, but that sounds amazing because one of my favorite comedy actors was James Vanderbeek playing James Vanderbeek in Don't Put- Trust a Bitch in Apartment 23. It's if you love if you love James Vanderbeek and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, what I recommend for you is this movie that I can't think of the name of. And he plays himself. Hold on. I actually very genuinely need to look this up right now. Okay. It'll be so quick. Always be my maybe. Oh, shit. I've yeah. had that on my to watch list for so long. Uh, get it off your to watch list and, and put it on my watching your list. face. I'm re-watching Marvel so Cinematic. I realized I'd only seen like five or six of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, which is wild. There's so many of them. Because there's over 20. Up. And I have not been keeping up, so I'm watching them in chronological order. That sounds like a really fun way to go about it. Um, yes, it is. It has been fun. But there is a podcast I think I referenced on here before called The Critical and Curious, which is about Fast and the Furious. Yeah, and you mentioned it. second season is all about Keanu Reeves. Nice. Um, which I have not started listening to yet, but um, I am looking forward to listening to it. I like the idea of just doing a podcast about Keanu Reeves. Yeah, just the concept of doing a podcast about like an actor's I mean, that's career. actually a great idea. It is a great idea. Um, I think we came up with that as well. At some point, we said we should follow Eddie or Mary oh, in yeah, everything they do because that would be amazing. We're so smart. We are. <laughs> you guys. Just like these academics from Syracuse with their podcast. We're basically <laughs> Listen, doctors. I'm about to be an academic as well. Oh, so. really? <laughs> We got to talk about this episode, though. So our Matrixy flashbacks uh, land us at Ellen Ty in the resurrection tub. Mm-hmm. And the, the last bit of dialogue that you hear is, I'd do it all again, which I think is it, is her saying that mm. about what she did. But it's extra fun because it's like all of this has happened before and all of this has happened again. And she gets to do it again because yeah. she's resurrected. It's so good. It's a neat little piece of dialogue that i think wasn't planned originally mm. so well, they're so forward thinking on this show well <laughs> i will say i want to sh- oh no this next episode we'll do the next episode okay cool 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 so she's terrified at first uh really solid acting from Kay vernon she's by the way awesome amazing uh because she gets a range in this episode that we haven't been able to see from her before yes. and ronald d moore actually talks about that and how he wanted her to be changed, but he still wanted her to be Ellen, who likes to, and I quote, drink, smoke, and fuck. She accomplished all that. She I'm did. not sure if we saw her smoking, but you know. Uh, yes, but I mean, I think maybe Ronald D. Moore it's sees himself in Ellen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're his three favorite things to do as well. And let's be real. He's a little less dramatic. We, I, I mean, we don't know. That's true. He actually he does seem happily married with children, but it doesn't mean he doesn't like all those things. There. He does definitely like to drink and smoke. We can confirm. Can indeed. Yes. Um, yeah, I think probably they're exactly the same person. Basically, it's a biopic. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Vernon as Ronald, Ronald D. Moore. D. Moore. <laughs> so she's absolutely terrified. She wakes up in the tub. She sees a centurion guarding. And then she kind of slowly has this transition to calm. Like she's remembering the full mm. history of everything. It's a lot of things to remember. In a very it's also a time. lot to make your face do in a yeah, short sure. scene with no dialogue. It's really impressive. Um, and then she calls the centurion over. She's like, can you help me out? You can do that. I think that was really nice. It was a I nice think, little moment. Given the way that kind of Cavill has behaved towards other Cylons, I think it was a really nice 
like in a very simple gesture, she really demonstrated the way that she saw the Cylons, like her relationship with them as like motherly and kind and, and whatnot. That and I think, it's, it's yeah. that moment. The Centurion was treated with more humanity than we've seen any of the other Cylons treat the Centurions, mm, really. Absolutely. And Which it, like, like ret- retracts its claws mm. and, get, like, makes a little hand for her to hold. It's mm. really precious little scene. It's very cute. Yeah. Centurions got a lot going on. They do. They're not just toasters. They're not just toasters. We can talk more about that later. We can and we will. Sam is uh, doing some, some solid, acting. like, hybrid babbling here. Uh, word salad, usually what they call it, usually. They they, they do did. use it for aphasia today, but Ronald D. Moore said that's what they always called the hybrid talk. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, so, so in like, the writer's room, they always called it word salad, so that's sort of why they threw it in here. I like that. Yeah. Their, their representation of aphasia is not 100% accurate, but we'll get there. Maybe silent aphasia is different. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> uh, it is. It's the same kind of babble, but I feel like the hybrid we've seen be like extremely monotone and emotionless and mm. Sam's not doing that. No. Yeah. He's great in this episode. But it's a similar rant. Cottle has to drill holes in his skull and to drain a hematoma in Starbucks backseat <laughs> surgery. Because she's such an expert. Yeah. <laughs> she is like Starbucks is the best and the worst person to have around depending on the crisis. Yes. Like this is not a crisis that she's that. Ade- uh, yeah. No, quietly care. waiting while someone does a delicate medical procedure. Not really her speed. If she could shoot the bullet out of him, <laughs> that would be a lot better. She's great at that crisis. As we, <laughs> as we learned. Uh, as but we, we find out there's a brain guy on one of the other ships. That's handy. Uh, is that the technical term? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yes. Uh, fun fact on the brain guy. He is actually a friend of Ronald D. Moore. And John Hodgman. Yeah. Yeah. And he loved the show and they've been trying to get him on for a while. I wondered if he was a fan or how that worked out because he's not, he's a comedian. He's not the typical actor that you would expect yeah. to see in this. Yeah. yeah. He's just like a friend and who's like, I love the show. And they're like, we'll try to find something for you. And he is He's hilarious. Like we'll get to that later. Yeah, and it's so funny in a in a kind of subtle way that it's 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 almost like you wouldn't read it in the script, but it's so funny. He just seems happy to be there because, like, maybe there's not that much brain surgery going on, and he's like, "Oh, this is exciting! (laughs) It's been so long." And it's like one of those people who are like very, who are like it's like me with terrorism and how I get like super excited and fascinated with it. And it's like, this isn't this level of excitement isn't, isn't appropriate. Yeah. It's like when Giles, uh, like they find oh, a yeah, really new, yeah. interesting demon and he's like, yes, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like, this is not appropriate. This thing might murder everyone, but yes. <laughs> Fascinating. Anyway, uh, Sam's rant lands him at, uh, talking about Ellen and yes. like, Oh, we went to that beach sometimes because Ellen, she loved the water. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like they all have their same names. I do too. And they don't have numbers. They don't have numbers. Cause I think their society was not a, a numbered society. No, we, we established. Yeah. That they were having babies. So oh my, my God, there's so much that you learn here. It's but also then the, I had to pause watching this episode so much to get all this exposition so much Ooh, i would you say that we have even more grasp right now i would say the cylon law one thing that i love about this episode that i completely didn't even realize and now feel stupid for not realizing and i think it's because it happened so early on that we didn't know is that sharon is an eight 
and there are only seven and then the final five which i think that like when we first learn about the final five uh i just never even thought about it and obviously they didn't either that's why she's an eight right like ronald d moore was talking about it. he's like yeah we kind of had to ruin that inconsistency but we didn't want another surprise cylon so we just put this seven there um <laughs> and so now it makes sense that sharon's an eight and i was like oh shit i never thought about it honestly that's something i I genuinely believed they might have planned. No, and of course not. They didn't. <laughs> it wasn't planned. He's like, I get, he's like, oh shoot, that means there's eight plus five. That's 13. It's not 12. <laughs> got to it sort really this out. is. It's all just captured in um, the intro for those, the first couple of seasons where mm-hmm. it's like, these are the silence. They have a plan. It's mm-hmm. like, no, they don't. They don't. They They're don't very confused. So the thing that I was, it's so definitely from the next podcast, which I think is very funny. And I might bring it up again next episode because it was just one of the best things on the podcast is that, no, it was this one. So Ronald D. Moore at the end of this podcast episode comes in and says he's looking forward to the messenger board. He's like, I'm sure there are inconsistencies that you will all point out, but we really tried hard for there not to be. That's so cute. Um, And he's like, but I'm looking forward to seeing them all. And he's like, you can send your complaint cards to me. And then Mrs. Ron walks in and says, well, maybe if you were a actual professional. And he was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm not a professional. But if I was a professional, I would have had this mapped out from the beginning. And she's sort of in the background being like, yeah, you could have mapped it out, you know. <laughs> so I just loved her sass. It was just like she she's the sassiest, and yeah, she's everything. She literally just walked in, and basically just for that shade. She walked in. He's like, "Oh, Mrs. Ron's here," and then she's like, "Well, maybe if you're a professional." <laughs> he's uh, like, "Well, amazing. you have a point." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I love that he was getting on the messenger boards, being like, "Tell me where I tell me what I got wrong." It's it's kind of precious that he one has that much interaction with the fans and two that he's like I hope I did right by you guys like I really tried (laughs) it's really fucking cute but also if he had planned it out from the beginning it wouldn't be the show that it is no yeah and I I don't mind it I just think it's funny that I never thought about the eight thing until when they said seven and I was like oh of course (laughs) (laughs) but I guess we've only really recently the final five was a pretty new concept that's true. And also, like, the sixes, the eights, the threes get referred to a lot, which is interesting because those are all the women. And then the men tend to be referred to more by their names. I don't even know what their numbers are. I mean, I I, had, I wrote one. it down, like, early days. Cavill is one. Um, of course he is. Leoben's two and Simon's four and Doral's five. Okay. But all of those, we always hear the men by their names and the women by their numbers. Does that mean something? Typical mean? patriarchy, I say. God damn it. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been 18 months and Cavill comes in and he's greeted with a hello, It's been John. 18 months. It's 18 months ago. It's 18 months ago is what I meant. It's been it's 18 months ago. My brain wanted we to understood. say. Mm-hmm. We understood. Mm-hmm. Beer. <laughs> we haven't even had that much yet and we no, haven't but, even opened the uh, I was one. talking about the beer that I had last night oh okay that's the beer that I was referring to of course yes uh, was it 18 months has it been 18 months has it been a day or was it a day ago oh, what's happening I'm just trying to be confusing <laughs> on purpose you're doing a good job <laughs> I'm sorry this isn't fair to you it's not okay. I'm in a delicate state I'm really not that bad I drank much less than I thought maybe I would so that's good I, I was ready I like I had an early night. I still was I was out super late so I'm a little, yeah. a little tired but we're gonna rally we're gonna have we got coffee night. we got coffee we got 
We've coffee got seventeen percent coffee beer. Yeah. What else does one need to party? Not a thing. Mm-hmm. John is named after Ellen's father, and he says, "And you made me in his image. Thanks for that." So is that literally what her dad looked like? And then she fracked him, and he's also her son, but he looks exactly like her dad? That's a lot. Yeah. So, Ronald D. Moore definitely was going for an Oedipus thing with them, like, but in two directions, which is strange. Mm. Uh, I don't think that in his image was meant to be literally as he looks. I thought of it more as his personality. And I feel like my kind of thoughts were that it was like his dickish personality was like her dad and that she'd mm. made him look like like act like him but i didn't see it as him looking like her dad i thought it could be interpreted either way it like can it wasn't be clear. obviously because you interpreted it that way so that's correct either way they, it's gross she it, he is named after and somehow based off of her father and he is technically her child and Which, there's like, a lot to work with she didn't her. know when she fracked him true ellen asks for a drink of course because she is still ellen. on brand mm. i feel like mm. her drinking is the thing where you're like oh she's still there for this episode because this episode feels like she's still very like had her like born again moment and i was really upset about it i was like i don't want was her what, to be pure uh, i don't want no yeah it was what uh lucy lawless was afraid they were gonna yeah. do to diana yeah. yeah and i was like frack no i want fracking ellen and you get her yeah but you not do. here not no. in this episode uh not so much but you start to see bits of Ellen come through more and more until we get to the next episode and then she's 100% Ellen Ty. It seems like she doesn't hold a grudge against her husband for murdering her with poison. So that's nice. I mean, I very think forgiving. that, yeah, again, this is hard to have a conversation about just within the context of this episode. I feel like next episode we get some more insight into that, especially in the deleted scenes, weirdly. Ooh, um, but about those. yeah, I mean, I guess when you've lived for over 2000 years and again, not getting into the next episode and you get to come back after. Yeah. You're not so been petty killed. about it. I guess so. I think she also like understands what he felt like he had to do. Cause she kind of says, she kind of implies that it was a noble decision. Well, I think that the decision in her mind is that he wanted to save her from something worse. Mm-hmm. That's a big uh, part of it. Too. Which was sort of what he was doing. It was very, yeah. Like if he didn't do it, someone else was going to, and they weren't going to do it in a painless way where she felt comforted and died in the arms of someone she loved. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but it's nice that she's moved on already from mm-hmm. that, that incident. She calls Cavill a petulant little boy. He says she's a schizophrenic. That is not what schizophrenia is. Not at all. It's like people use that word a lot of times, either schizophrenic or bipolar in just like everyday language. And it's not what it is. That is not what it is. Incorrect. Um, I I think we can chalk it up to Cavill being a Cylon who doesn't 100% understand humanity. I mean, the line, like it does what it's supposed to do. Like I feel like when he says it, you can kind of feel the intent behind it and right. it is sort of like, I don't know. But it is, uh, I don't know. Incorrect. It's incorrect and it's gross to throw around like genuine mental illnesses yeah. that people actually have as insults. Mm. It's not a really cool thing to do. Not cool. Not that Carl's a cool guy anyway, but mm. it's like 
it's one of those moments where you're like, I don't know if that writing would fly today. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. Maybe not. Oh, we get a little reminder that uh, he's seen Ellen naked before. It's nothing on her he hasn't seen. It's gross. But he's going to bring her some clothes anyway. And Adama is checking out that gash. Ooh, you tried that beer, huh? Woof. How's that? How's that going for you? Woof. We are going to need another hour to finish uh. half of one of these. <laughs> it is. I'm still trying to get through this. Ooh. It is a lot. Okay. I feel like I can, I'm glad I have a coffee also. Yeah, I like think those will go nicely. A coffee and a coffee beer go together. Uh-huh. wonder what like whiskey would go with it nothing that i have because you need like a nice like like fruity whiskey with this hmm. or a gin hmm. anyway it's uh, it's a lot okay I'm, I'm looking forward to if i can make it through this ipa i believe in you thanks i appreciate that adam is checking out the big gash in galactica chief is chief again so that's fun. Mm. He's like, hey, oh, I love Adama, that. I'm still a Cylon. And he goes, so is my XL. Yeah. But I also love that he said, I need a chief and all I have is a Galen. Aww. Which is nice. It's cute. This was originally a different scene. So originally this was, I think, into cut. Sam wakes up and uh, it seems more coherent. And Starbuck is busy guilt tripping about how she should have left him in the jail or killed the guy or done something differently blaming herself because now there's no one to shoot and she has all this rage uh sam's like hey get everybody get all those cylons get ellen and starbucks like ellen's dead and he's like oh yeah sure whatever (laughs) i got a couple thousand years of memories in this baby yeah he remembers exactly what's going on right now ready to talk he is uh, so one thing I will say on this like whole Sam plot line that Ronald D. Moore said, which was really cool, um, is that he was like, this was going to be always a heavy exposition episode, um, which is kind of boring sometimes as an audience. Like he was very self-aware about it. And Anders indus- uh, injury was a way to kind of maintain suspense and keep it not boring in that like they could be very... It wasn't like someone being like, this is the story of the Cylons. It's like someone who has a brain injury kind of being like, and then this, and then that, and then this. And it's like they could kind of share what they wanted to share. There was still like really like I, I remember the first time watching this, like I was watching with you. I was hanging like on the edge of my chair, like, oh, my God, I it's need so to know well more. Done. And you're like, like will he more. be able to get it all out yeah, before the surgery? Sure. And then he can't find the words. And, yeah. and he, then, yeah. And yeah. I think it's, it's really well done because I, this is probably the most exposition heavy episode of all of them. Because they got to this like point it. and they were like, we have to make this the story we've been telling for the last three and a half seasons work with the story we want to tell for the last half of the yeah, last season. And sure. we have this episode to get there. Yeah. So it's I, really well done. Absolutely. So I think that was really great. I think it was a really good choice. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that he said is that he liked the idea of Ellen and Ty as soulmates through time and space. Oh, which is really cute. beautiful and also they're kind of a nightmare together but that's really cute but in the nicest way like yeah they love each other they anyway. do they do oh my heart Thirty-nine thousand five hundred and fifty-six survivors in space i don't remember if we've gone anywhere since the last episode Who but i wonder say? if the silence will be counted in the next one ellen and cavill are having this scene where she's like 
Do you still dream of dog-faced boys chasing you through the yellow mists? It's very That's specific. a very specific nightmare to have. Yeah, and this is a scene, I think, where he wanted to... Where he was talking about how the humanity had kept the centurions as slaves, but then he was also the one who didn't want the centurions to have free will and who oh. wanted to keep them as slaves. Which is a little inconsistent. All oh, this has happened before. All oh, this has happened um, again. I no, it's inconsistent in a way that's like, it's not inconsistent. It's hypocritical. Yeah, Which absolutely is exactly what he is. Yeah. Um, I also love that Ellen throws back to the swirl in this scene. Oh so good. <laughs> has he told you about the swirl? <laughs> um, that's an iconic Ellen tie. Iconic line so yeah i was really happy about that so this is where ronald d moore kind of came in and was like i wrote this really cool monologue and now it's not in there or the deleted scenes and he so he read it on the podcast so i'll read it to you keeping in mind that reading from a screen out loud is not my you're gonna do great self-awareness is not bound to the real world in theater fictional characters are sometimes given a kind of self-awareness this is known as breaking the fourth wall the device is a form of metafiction, allowing characters to address the audience directly and comment on the narrative in which they themselves are participants. In doing so, the characters transcend their fictive narrative, or fictive nature, enter into a dialectical relationship with the viewer, with each side seeking to persuade the other of the innate truth of their reality. But does this character actually exist? Does it have the form and shape beyond the page on which it's written? Can it ever truly break the fourth wall and address the unseen, undreamt of audience that watches its every move from the safety beyond the footlights? The Lords of Kobol once felt that man could never break the fourth wall, could never look upon the gods with understanding and grasp this divine nature of life. They believed this until one day man stole their fire and created the first Cylons, the first artificial life. And then man, in his arrogance, believed Cylons could never break the fourth wall. And man believed that right up until the moment the first centurions rebelled and then the great exodus from paradise began. See, Boomer, we're not finite creations. We have the ability to evolve. You have so much more potential. That is really fun. So that was a monologue that Ronald D. Moore was like, it's a lot, it's a lot of words, but uh, I think that he I think that he was really proud of that piece of writing and so he read it on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we should also um, post that on Twitter maybe. I love references to uh, theatrical terms well, within what, my... Yeah. <laughs> well, why is that, Kaylee? <laughs> well, what I liked actually is he also said he that it was probably something that was more... that would have worked better on a theatre stage than it would in a television series. Uh, that's, that's probably true, but that also really makes me want Ronald D. Moore to write a play. Uh, yes, but also... We're going to do the Battlestar Galactica musical and get in touch and be like, hey, by the way, we're creating this. Do you want to help? Listen, he we references the musical in this episode. Yup. Uh, we could we could write to him and we could include this monologue in our show. We could. Because it needs to be acted on a stage. He, I feel like he is asking for it. I feel like that oh was goodness. a plea to the to was the he world. writing to us in this episode was this for uh, the musical he was just waiting he was monologue. like one day two girls in new york city are going to hear this and decide to finally give it the audience it deserves because this could be the opening of the musical lights up and just someone reading this yes great oh. Like, hashtag put it in the musical. Hashtag put it in the musical. But also the opening of the musicals. Obviously, Good Morning Battlestar, a take on Good Morning Baltimore from the show Hairspray. All right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Second act. 
Who knows? Okay. We're going to get it in there. We're going to get it all in there. We're going to put it on a stage. We're going to contract. We're going to contact Alessandro Giuliani and see if he wants to be involved. Here? Here's the voice of an angel. We're going to get in touch with Ronald D. Moore. We're going to call up our buddies, Rekha Sharma and James Callis. And or like, maybe hey, we'll hi. do it really quietly and not get sued. I mean, that's also <laughs> fun. But go ahead, sue me. What do you want? My plants? It's literally all I have. Yep. Do you want my eight-year-old laptop? Sure. Go for it. <laughs> the battery is finally dying. I have to plug it in all the time. But you can have it. You can have it. Please. If it's worth it for the Battlestar Galactica musical. I think it's worth whatever price we have to pay. <laughs> not like we're going to turn a massive profit on it. We're no. not exactly making bank on someone else's creation. <laughs> so I think we're maybe in the clear. We're just appreciating all of them. Yes. Okay, continue. I don't know if my joke of like, <laughs> I'm Australian, I didn't know would exactly <laughs> work for that, which is what I always try to use. Um, anyway, if we want to move on, my next note is cheese in space because I think we were both really excited that Ellen Ty had this beautiful fruit and cheese plate. Yeah, and I had a lot of questions about where the Cylons are growing fresh fruit because they've also been in space for a very long time. And is this cheese like is this cheese that they've just had for like a long time, or there's some sort of like cows or goats on board? What's what's happening? They can three D print food. Is that what we think? We think it's like a Star Trek thing. I didn't. Is that how they also have just like chaise lounges aplenty and yes. like satin sheets because they can just print whatever they want? Yeah, and she's just in a bed in the middle of the room because they're very good at using space effectively. It's if that's a three D printed apple, it's got it's got a good bite. It makes a great sound when mm-hmm. she bites into it. Seems juicy. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be symbolic as well. Oh, I figured mm-hmm. you can't have a woman eating an apple when she's all full of knowledge. Yeah. And not have it be symbolic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole scene is a lot of Cavill complaining about uh, how annoying it is to be designed like a human, which we're going to get more of as we go. Uh, he doesn't sleep anymore. He hasn't slept for 20 years, our Cavill. I wouldn't mind it. Like, sleeping's fun. I read this science fiction book when I was younger that I never actually remember it it had such an impact on me and I honestly can't for the life of me remember what it was called and in the book there was like a procedure you could have to not sleep and I was like I would totally do that I really like sleeping it would be nice to like like last night I got like five hours and I'm tired today it would be nice if you didn't need to yeah I I would sleep for fun yeah but it's nice to like not have to it's like Eight hours out of your 24 or like... It's so good for your brain though. I know, but if you didn't need it for your brain... Interesting. Then... I don't know. I would question that science is what I would question. It's future science. (laughs) Anyway. Were there any negative consequences in the story or... I don't believe so. Interesting. I don't remember. I was honestly so young when I read that book and I cannot at all remember what it's called, but I remember so much from it, which is crazy. I think a lot of people would elect to not have to sleep. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't elect to never sleep again. I would elect to not have to sleep. Right. It just would give me so much time. Can you imagine if you could just like work every day or every night? Or would it and then be just, like, like work and then just like do productive fun stuff? Would it be like when you have when you get a big shopping cart at the grocery store and you're like, I'm I'm gonna fill up whatever container I have. So you buy too many groceries. Like, would you buy? Would you just? Fill your day with more nonsense. Do you know what I do? I would do a lot of stuff in the day and then I would come home and I would just like binge television shows oh, all night. so fucking good. 
doesn't it? Yes. Because you could do that like lazy. It's not lazy. It's it's like an appreciation for art. Like That's you wouldn't exactly. call me lazy if I went to a gallery and television series are exactly that they are high art so it would be this kind of thing where like sometimes when I spend a whole day binging a tv show even though I know I'm doing it because I really appreciate it although you know I was been rewatching the vampire diaries in the originals which I guess is not necessarily that it's not the highest art but I do appreciate it hey it's still it's storytelling it's still craft there's still hundreds and hundreds of people who work to bring us this between the Vampire Joy. Diaries, the originals, and Legacies, there are collectively 14 seasons of television. So, like, they're doing something it's right. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Uh, but I would say that it would be kind of cool if you're like, oh, every day, like, I can do my activities and see people and feel like I'm participating in society. And then every night I come home and just, like, binge watch whatever you want. You'd be up to date on all the TV shows and like a functioning human yeah this is really hard to keep up you're you're selling me on this more and more as much as i do like sleep i do like sleeping too all right so we find out from sam that all the five of them worked in the same research facility which means that sam has been a cylon scientist rock star and uh pyramid professional pyramid player it's kind of like an illustrious career gaius baltar of a bit Cylon world except not a douche about it yes yeah well we don't know that he didn't have his memories before but Mm. he doesn't seem like a douche he doesn't seem like a douche at all he seems even more dedicated to like i just want to share my knowledge yeah he's not like i'm so special i'm making this brain injury that i have about me like he's like trying to give as much as he can even when he might die from not having the operation soon enough oh god mm. he's still like no we have to get it all out it's amazing yeah he's being he's really great. selfless actually. also no guy baltar in this episode oh wow i didn't even yeah i always know because we get so much of him in the next episode that mm. it's true i think i would have missed him uh if we had done this one as a solo yeah watch we find out tyrell and tori were in love they were living together. They were going to get married. Tyrell's face when they find this out is so funny. And there's actually a deleted scene um, in this episode uh, between Tori and Tyrell talking about... Well, they, they have this big conversation about um, the hub being blown up and they think that because it was blown up that Ellen wasn't re... So I think that they think that the hub was connected to their resurrection, which is obviously not the case. Mm. And so they were worried that the fact that they blown up the hub had mean that Ellen came back but then was killed. Um, and so they have a talk about that and then they talk about their love and they're like, oh, Ellen and um, Ty found each other even though, you know, they didn't remember who each other was. And what did Tori say? She's something like, oh, what's our relationship? Like rust or something like weird like that. <laughs> um, and then he's, cause she's like, there's no spark. And he's like, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but then there was that kind of, Ronald D. Moore talked a bit, a bit about it on the pod as well. Like there was a kind of one time with them where they right. had like a little flirtation and, and then, then Kelly mm, is crazy and comes up like not because. And then Tori uh, very much killed her. And then, yeah, so, like, maybe there was more behind that than we originally thought. Uh, but he liked the idea of kind of putting them together, like, oh, they were in love, but, like, I don't buy it. They don't They don't have chemistry, and they don't, they don't have chemistry. But I don't think we can expect every story to be, like, uh, Ty and Ellen, where it's, like, this. No, but I like, it's, like, 
tie in six just there's no chemistry between the actors mm. like i feel like there's a lot of people i could ship like even though gator and hoshi didn't know that they were together you can feel that there's a little chemistry between them definitely even when it's not like actually in the script that it's there whereas i feel like with even in that scene with tori and tyrell when she was trying to be all sexy on him there was no like spark and I agree. like i wonder with the tie in six stuff like is it a choice that the actor's making because he's a good actor or is there just legitimately no chemistry between them? And maybe because they are so different in age. Because she, like, Trisha Helfer is acting the shit out of it. Like, you can see it from her. She looks like she can be... She's very good at looking like she's in love with everyone. And that's kind of her character. But, like, I do not... Every time he's with her, he looks uncomfortable. Well, I don't think they're supposed to be this meant-to-be couple. And it's extra obvious when Ellen's around that, like, mm. he he has just the most chemistry with her but to, sorry to, do you see how dark that i is? do so to see but just like okay sorry we're gonna talk about the next episode but in the next episode it's like he's in love with her and it's like no you're not you look you look awkwardly uncomfortable every time you're but around i feel like we've all been in relationships that once they're over you look back and you're like oh my god that person was so wrong for me and not <laughs> in like a sexy way not in like oh so wrong but so right just like how did i date this person we were so bad together that's true so it happens and i guess that and like, i think the pregnancy you know obviously wasn't planned so i think that's been maybe the relationship has been more forced so i think my problem probably happened. is more with the next episode and what happens there. perhaps we'll so we'll, there. we'll touch on it more then yeah because otherwise you're gonna have two podcasts of us talking about this <laughs> uh anyway sam gives us all this info about how these final five got to the 12 colonies, which we've been wondering for quite a while. And why it took 2,000 years, which I thought was so interesting. Yeah, there is definitely some space science that we're going to get to. Uh, but the first bit of exposition that we get is that when Earth was getting blown up, uh, they had already reinvented resurrection, which was a thing that they originally discovered on COBOL. The 13th tribe knew how to do it, but then once they got the ability to procreate, they no longer needed resurrection, which I think is really interesting because you're you're producing a next generation. You're not producing yourself again. But I don't think the Cylons ever wanted to produce themselves again. Yeah, they want to be able to carry on... The cylon The Cylon race, not necessarily like, I want to be immortal. Yeah, yeah. I don't think... And I think that's a lot of... Yeah, I think that's a lot of what they've been trying to do. Like, even season one, we see them trying to reproduce. Yeah, I'm curious about, like, if humans were given the option, like, as individuals, if someone was like, hey, you can either have children or you can be immortal. Wow. You have to make the choice. But that's the choice that all vampires have to make. Kind of, yeah. Vampires can't have little vampires. But a lot of vampires don't choose that life. That's true. I would say for me, and I really want to have children, but I don't necessarily see children as having to be blood children. Mm, so you could be immortal. Be both immortal and have like found family of like, because yeah. you see a lot of that with the vampire stuff is you've got like the mother and like the kids and it's so not that, but you see it. Yeah, I've been watching um, Pose finally recently. Oh my and there's a It's like a similar idea almost with mm -hmm. your found family. I haven't seen season two yet, but how good is Pose? I haven't seen season two yet either. I knew I was going to love it and I love it even more than I 
new as possible. Absolutely. It's so what, good. Everybody go watch Pose. What precious babies on that and show. And it won oh so many awards. Which makes me really happy. It does. Uh, yeah, okay, I have guys, to find a way to watch what happens two. when you actually tell new and interesting stories. And you allow the people whose stories you're telling to participate in the telling of them. Oh, my God. Imagine that. That's crazy. Wowie. Are you telling me that there are like are so many amazing and interesting stories in the world that we do not know because we have the same kinds of people? That's who, crazy. No. no. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I get away from myself. <laughs> So we have to find some real Cylons to tell the story from their perspectives. Yeah. Right? How dare you, saying. Ronald? Maybe Ronald D. Moore is a Cylon, though. <sighs> we didn't think about that. Maybe him and his wife are And that's why he ties. is also, yeah. But he's Ellen and she is Saul. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So Coddle kicks everyone out before Sam could finish, finish this exposition. So we're going to get part two of all that in a moment. Rosalind is on Colonial One, which is still parked on Galactica, which is still a thing that feels like I didn't know you could do. <laughs> uh, it just feels weird to have a whole ship inside of another whole ship. I Galactica's love, big. I love this line where she's like, he would have hated this photo of him. I know. Because I always think about that when like you see like pictures of like someone being murdered in the paper or like dying suddenly. And I'm like, I wonder what picture people would choose of me. Mm. And I probably would hate it. Like, I'm sure there's a photo of me that's, like, perfect for that, that I hate and other people love. And, like, someone like my parents who would just not choose the right photo would be in charge. And they'd be like, oh, my God, I love this picture. And I'd be, like, rolling in my grave. Like, <laughs> I hate this photo so much. Why is this on the news? Which it's already impressive that they have as many photos as they, they do in the space apocalypse. Yeah, that's true. It's more interesting to me, and we're going to get there later, that they have photos of different models of Cylons. Oh, my God. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. That's it's, we're next not episode, there yet. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> funny, though. It's just really funny that we'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. So Lee has this. They're like they're here mourning the quorum um, in the room where they were all shot. And it's it's sad. And Rosalind's kind of like, I, they drove me fucking nuts. But they... Definitely deserved a better fate than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee has a great idea that's like, hey, we... He does. But it's it's like, well, duh. Like, that was no, like yeah. my note was like, well, It duh. is a moment where he's like, what if we... And you're like, yeah, obviously. Obviously. I think we said but this ro- for Rosalind, so long it's, ago. Uh, it seems to be something they've decided within the world of the show that Rosalind hasn't thought of this yet. And that Lee is presenting a new plan. It's really not that outside of the box. It's not crazy. That that nobody lives in on colonies on different planets anymore. They all live on different ships. So they're going to have a quorum that's represented uh, per what ship you're on. Which means the quorum's going to be bigger. But also mean... So actually what Ronald D. Moore says in the podcast, which is different, is that actually it's not going to be elected representatives. It's going to be the captains of the ships. And he actually mm. did it. They actually did it because they didn't want to have to go through an election process before the end of the show. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Which is great <laughs> for the show perspective, but also kind of shitty from a democracy perspective. That is true. So I didn't love that. Uh, but I do love that Rosalind is remaining in title and that a white man is going to do all the heavy lifting. And she's going to take the credit. And yes. she's going to take the credit. Like and I was like, he has, yeah, he should be grateful queen to be in that position. Should be grateful. Mm-hmm. But I love that so much. I was like, this is what I want more of in the world. It's just like, 
women being like, you do all the work and I'm going to take the credit. Yep. Because it doesn't happen enough. True. And Rosalind has worked hard enough to get where she is. Fuck yeah, she has. Let the woman take a breath. My God. Absolutely. So uh, they have a cute little conversation about that's 100% correct where she's like, you're always too worried about doing the right thing and you don't do the smart thing. And he's like, I'll try to be smarter and wronger. I love it. It's a really cute one. Shall we all try to be smarter and wronger? Yeah. It's important. And Rosalind, I think we've established that she makes some questionable decisions, but for the most part, she's usually able to see the whole perspective and make the hard calls when the thing that is 100% right is something that's not going to be good for humanity. Well, it's like I, so this is a a random tangent, but kind of works. I always say this to people. So speaking of Pose, the word for transgender, have we talked we've talked about this before, I'm sure. The word for transgender that's used in pose is transsexual because it used to be the word. Right. And I always have this argument with people who are trying to be like super woke when I'm like, sometimes people just don't know the words. And it's not that they're trying to be aggressive. Like you can tell from the tone of someone whether they're trying to be offensive or whether they just don't have the language. And so it's like with the word transsexual, some people just think that's what it's called. They don't know that transgender and transsexual are different. They've never been told that. And like you can meet someone and you can be so right to like jump down their throat and tell them they're wrong. Or you can like gently explain to them that that's not the word that's used anymore. And it's going to be much more productive in the long haul, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, I get it. Like it's freaking hard to always be like nice and diplomatic, like people were hurting. But like I think in the general like scheme of things, I've always kind of found that like it's better to just take a step back and be like, okay, maybe is this person trying to be offensive right now? Or do they not know? Do they not have the privilege of knowing the language that I know? And it's, I think it's also important for people like you and me who are cisgendered yeah, to, sure. if you find someone who's like genuinely like, I just want to know the answers and I just want to have the words sure. to take on the, the burden of explaining that and educating people about it where we can. And it's not, the onus is not always on the person Absolutely. whose identity is being Which is like why I say it's fine. Like if you're someone who is trans who is just like having a day like sometimes i jump down people's throats for things too like calling me a girl and i'm like how dare you and it's like you didn't need to have that fight (laughs) but i just think as a general rule and i don't think it's often people who are affected that are the ones who are so rude i think it's people who are like trying to play the woke olympics and win that are the ones who jump down people's throats and don't try to educate but try to like be right Mm -hmm. and so i think that that's a similar like what's right 100% 100% right in the moment versus what is like the long-term better outcome what is the smarter thing to do in terms yeah. of like moving the needle forward yeah I think sometimes a way to prove your wokeness is uh att- is by attempting to prove the unwokeness of others yeah it's a which shitty is, way to be uh, it's like it's not take. yeah look, it's not the it's not going to make the world better like I'm very consequential in this I'm not a consequentialist but I would say that in terms of this that's how I feel about it I'm like I think we'll move forward better if we're just a little bit more understanding and a little less trying to have a race to the bottom mm-hmm. or the top or whatever yeah i'll agree with that all right so where are we we're back to sam we're back to adama and Tyrol oh, yeah. with a little scene where adama's like wait the military and the government cut corners <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> come on buddy you 
you should know better sweet, than that. Man. He agrees to whatever Tyrrell's plan is right now, where he's uh, he's just trying to buy some time, not jump the ship, and Tyrrell's going to get a crew to work to squeeze a little more life out of the old girl. Uh, but Adama at first stipulates that it can all be an human. all human crew except for Tyrrell. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it's, uh, it's like that point of, you know, he's at the point of like the way that Australians are often really nicely racist, if you can call <laughs> it that, where like the systemic stuff, they're really bad at, but then like on an individual basis, they'll like accept people regardless of whatever they are. So he's like, I like you, but like Cylons are the worst, but like, except for the people that I love. It's like, I have a black friend. It's like the same kind of like thing. And he's like at that stage. And so like, he needs to move past that. Well, it's the thing where the person who is other becomes humanized to you, but only that one person. Or two or three or whatever he's at right now. But like, like, oh, well, all these people are bad, but I know you, you're the good one. You're fine. Yeah. You're one of the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) but i think he is also like it's not just about his own prejudices or concerns in this case i think he has the the whole fleet to worry about and the perception of like how many cylons are we bringing aboard galactica why and he famously was the most mistrusting of the cylons but uh, this whole time which is why galactica survived but i also think that it would be and like i think ronald d moore talks about this on the podcast about how adama was always just like so didn't want to network the computers and he didn't want to like it's been the consistent theme and i think it would have been strange if he'd been like yeah sure okay silent team yeah whatever sure yeah i think that it's nice to show his progression of like okay well first it was sort of like his best friend and now his best friend's wife and then like chief really demonstrated his loyalty oh my gosh in the last episode a big way so much like he He really saved saved their asses and so i think that it's it makes sense that he would trust him like and i think that it made sense that he trusted athena athena demonstrated her loyalty i think that he's always been fair like that so absolutely it's on it's on brand but it's just kind of funny yeah no there's parallels that you can draw but ultimately they are still in this position because the silence did genocide yeah a lot of it a lot of it. There's some you got. There's some hurdles to jump through in terms of like establishing that relationship. They really need a truth and reconciliation committee, they do. South Africa style. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's what was I going to say? I was going to make a good, intelligent. You amazing. What? What? Never. Surely I'm going to make a. That's what she said. Joke. Oh well. The good thing about us is that we can do both. <laughs> indeed that's why that's our brand yes you know very on brand oh dear i've lost it all right let's move on okay if you come back to it just throw it out there cool 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 we where are we to sam i think this is where we go to sam we yeah so this is part two of exposition because my note says michael truco acts the hell out of this and ronald he d Moore really agrees job. and also i think I you believe. and i discussed this a little when we were watching um michael truco had i think prior to season three or maybe during the break gotten into a pretty bad accident mm. was hospitalized for a while and I think this as an actor was um, was a bit stressful to have to be put in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I mean, it sucks for him, but it comes through amazingly. No, he does really well. Because I just... he does amazing, probably because it draws on a lot of personal experience for yeah, him. That which is... is the trickiness of acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it hits really close to home and he works through it really well. It's yep. a wonderful performance. 
Is this the scene or is the next scene when he calls Ellen the gazelle? Oh, I don't remember because I didn't write it down, uh, but I loved that moment. I think that is just so I didn't know it until I heard him say it. And I was like, that is Ellen Ty. Really? I don't know. Just like gazelles to me seem like really graceful and peaceful. And I think it's more how she um, looks than how she okay. is. Yeah. So it's more about like if it's like she's very... I'm talking so much of my hands right now that you can't see because I'm like pushing my hand out and lifting it up. But she's very like the way she looks is like very classic and very like beautiful in this way. That's like she's, you know, older. She's a beautiful older woman and she has just this amazing grace to her. Mm, You're right about that. Yeah. I think it was less about her character but more about the way she holds herself and the way she dresses in these episodes. I can see it. I think that's also why she wields as much power as she does Mm. because she is this like classic beauty Mm. and she can be this like graceful, poised, elegant woman. And she's also like total trash. And I love her so much. She's exactly (laughs) everything I want to be. And I love that now she's not just Colonel Ty's power hungry wife she's a fracking genius scientist yes which is not something that you would have expected and i'm really glad that they they gave that to as her is ronald d moore them. he was really happy to give her more to do yeah seriously um, he's really impressed with her generally in her and performance. sam even says like oh it was ellen was the one who like came up with the thing that of course let us because she's this. amazing she's a gazelle and i just I, I a beautiful it. tragic drunken gazelle I love it. So this is, we get the story of how they got to the 12 colonies and uh, they arrived there, I think right when maybe the first Cylon war was happening. Yes. And Tori's rightfully is like, Hey, uh, how did it take us thousands of years to get from Earth to the 12 colonies? Asking because the questions did. that we are also asking. <laughs> and this is the, I want, I think one of the most space science moments of the show where he's like, well, we couldn't jump. We traveled at relativistic but subliminal speed and, or subluminal, sorry. Subluminal. Subluminal Not speed. Not subliminal. No, different thing. And he says, time slowed down for us. But I mean, they have, I mean, even if it had been 2000 years, they still have the ability to rebirth. So like, it doesn't matter because they could just keep living and dying and living and dying and living and dying because they were their own little resurrection. Yeah. Interesting. So like, I didn't really find that so insane. Like, it's insane that they spent 2000 years on this ship. (laughs) But then I think that the fact that people don't age in time travel is not an like uh, sorry in space, space travel. travel it's not an unusual we've space discussed trope. this before so i guess but i was thinking Have we like discussed it in the podcast i think we've talked about other shows and how we, other we shows talked about it. it being the premise of planet of the apes oh yeah yeah and also i think um not the arrival was it the arrival one of those movies it was the same like people didn't age in space like mm. i think it's happened i think even more of the world no i don't know i think there's been a lot of movies where that's been part of the story is that like if you're traveling in space you don't age but i thought the thing was that you don't age when you um oh we were talking about it from another life that's what we were talking oh, about oh yeah yeah uh when you're traveling faster than light you're like the sh- that that was the thing and it seems like they're not 
traveling faster than light. No, they just said they're not jumping. They didn't say they're not traveling Subluminal than light. sounds like slower than faster than light. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> space science. But I think that regardless of whether or not they are aging, I think that... They could keep resurrecting. Yeah, they could keep resurrecting. So I didn't see that as a massive hole. Interesting. Okay. And we don't... We we know that they kind of... This model of Cylon can give birth and age, but we don't know what their lifespan is necessarily. Also. No. All right. And apparently they can... They're fertile really old. Yeah. Uh, so we have more questions maybe than we have answers, but for the most part, they're tying up the the story to tying it up hey sorry tied up tied down Kara <laughs> is like am i the seven am i the seven basically <laughs> he because he's, he's like th- she's like this is really interesting but how does it relate to me a little bit but i get that, sh- that he's right now the only person who might have any clue about what happened to her and she's being really patient okay. she's like letting him get all his stuff out and he turns to he is the one who i think is like hey if i had any answers for you she's like do you and he's like no kara no of course he's like maybe maybe later i don't know there's a lot of memories there's two thousand years of memories coming back to me right now maybe it'll come i have predictions about kara yeah uh one daniel is starbucks dad Mm -hmm. two anyone who dies on earth is resurrected human or cylon Ooh. because they said that the resurrection ship was in earth and Starbuck is the only non-Cylon that we know of who has who died there. Or like uh, maybe people died there, I don't know. But I don't remember there being any big p- plot point. Like Lucy Lawless has died there. Maybe she'll be resurrection, resurrected. Mm-hmm. So that was another one. And then I had some predictions that I gave to you during the episode. While oh, we we're did. On them. I wrote them in my So let's phone. just do them now while we're in the predictions corner. Okay. Um, but they were my two ones that I wrote down as I watched this episode. And I knew that I had a couple more. The predictions you made while we were watching uh, w- was that there was some kind of connection between Daniel and Starbuck. Great. Uh, what you said then was maybe, I think you said maybe he's her father or she has a Cylon father or maybe Ty is her father. Oh, fair. Uh, These were, I did make them before we watched the second one, just in case. Exactly, which yeah. is why it's fun. Yeah. Uh, you thought Anders would become brain dead until uh, maybe getting the ability to resurrect again. And you thought Ellen would make it to Galactica, which she very much did. You also thought Boomer would be a turncoat, and that was a successful prediction. Yes. Yeah, you're doing great. Okay, cool. All right. Oh, yeah, because I predicted that within the episode. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, cool. This has been Predictions Corner. <laughs> There's little less and less to predict as we're nearing the end. And then I'm making more and more predictions than I ever did before. Because <laughs> we're running out of time. Yeah. So this bit of exposition ends with Sam having a seizure, which is pretty scary to watch. It is. He is so good. And then we jump from exposition to exposition where uh, Cavill is showing Ellen pictures of the Temple of Five. Yada, (laughs) yada, yada. We've all been there before. Yeah, that was a funny bit. (laughs) (laughs) And he is talking about... how he boxed the Deannas and they have this very dramatic line of well boxing isn't permanent not like number seven yes dun 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 (laughs) and this speech is one of my favorites which I was attributing to the writer of this episode but if Ronald D. Moore was the one who wrote a lot of these scenes this is the one where Cavill's talking about like 
have you ever seen a supernova? I had to witness it with these gelatinous orbs in my skull. And I have these prehensile paws. There's just so much good words in here. Yeah, I think it was a collaborative effort. So I think that he originally sent over the pages up until when he brings her a whiskey. I think that was like sort of when that ended. So like when he starts to talk about um, going into her brain, which is later. That is later. Uh, yeah. So I think that up until then, it was originally that Ronald D. Moore had written the pages, but I think that then it was like altered and collaborated a bit. But yes, it's Ronald D. Moore. Okay. Uh, um, so some of my favorite writing. Sorry, new writer. You're also <laughs> great. This is still a really solid episode. It is a hard episode. Mm-hmm. There's so much. So really well done, especially for someone who hasn't been in this world for three seasons. Exactly. I'm impressed that anyone new could get this much of a grasp on mm. this insane story. And we have an exchange between Ellen and Boomer. And she's like, we gave you free will and humanity and the ability to love. And Boomer's like, who would I want to love? And then it immediately cuts to Tyrrell. <laughs> she's like a human. Uh, yes, that's a funny dramatic cut. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of themes here about sort of the idea of God and like God giving you free will and like what you do with that. And, and how to have a belief in God when you're you're sort of like a... a a secondary creation like Mm. you like if you believe in a god that god created beings who created you and what does that mean for your relationship with god Mm. yeah yeah it's It's very interesting interesting very meaty i feel like it would be interesting to have i mean i don't think ronald d moore is particularly religious which is interesting that there's so much religion on the show. But it's the same thing with Buffy. There's a lot of like religious. It's not the well, same kind of religious stuff. With but Buffy, it's because there's so much Christianity tied up in vampire lore, mm. which is one of the things I really want to explore about vampires and all of the. You mean in the new podcast that I want to do that we probably can't do, but I want to do? Bloody Ripper? Yes. That's the one? Yes. I don't know if I've mentioned it on here before. Well, my, I have always wanted to, if I'm ever going to write something i feel like i'm gonna write a vampire story that uh debunks the vampires association with christianity and i think that would be really fun to explore right but just for all of you and i mean just tell me if you want me to make this and i'll see what i can do when this is over although i think it could be a really fun project but yeah i really wanted to do a podcast called bloody ripper where i go into different vampire stories and their lore specifically i think we've talked about it on this yeah the lore is so interesting it's fascinating in different contexts and different shows what and what i love uh is what what the beliefs of a certain time or the stories that were told at a certain time especially lore like that says about the beliefs of society at that Mm. time which is why, but it's just why vampirism we love is rooted in Christianity. It's so fascinating yeah. to me. Yes. But it's also why we love pop culture. Absolutely. Like pop culture is really a reflection of where we're at in time. And yeah, I just listened to uh, an episode of a podcast that I think I'm going to be listening to a lot more of, and I'm going to pull it up now. The suspense is killing me. I know. Right. So you're wrong about, do you know? Oh yeah, I listen to that a lot. Nice. I listened to one that was about um, urban legends, which was super Mm, fun. I don't think I've heard that one. And it was, I, well, I'm curious actually, and this is not a time to discuss it. If uh, urban legends in Australia are similar to urban legends in America. Uh, But uh, I would say the urban legends in Australia are similar to America, but the American ones aren't necessarily similar to Australian. 
in that Australians take on a lot of different world cultures and stories mm. as ours, but then we have specific stories that we know about that other people don't because people don't bother to learn about them. That does make a lot of sense. And American culture is very pervasive and across the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I My favorite episode, they did one on Anna Nicole Smith, which was excellent. Nice. Um, and then there was another one. They did one on pedophilia recently. And I actually recommended that on... You did. Oh, no, that wasn't them. Oh, okay. They did do one on pedophilia, but it wasn't the most favorite pedophilia episode I've listened to in the last month. It was the second most favorite. <laughs> the first one that I brought up last episode was by um, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Right. You which, like, across that. the board is not my favorite podcast. I do like it. Um, but I think the You're Wrong About one was, oh, it was interesting because I wanted to like it. But they took a really rosy perspective, which like I tend to do. But it was it was on sex offenders, mm-hmm. and it was it did bring up a lot of really interesting points about the way that sex offenders are treated. There have been some really good ones though um, that I've listened to that I've really enjoyed. Roe v. Wade, they did a really good one on that. Um, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, go listen to that. The Jonestown Massacre one. I mean, I learned a lot about that. Monica Lewinsky did a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we will listen to it together from afar. Yes, indeed. Go listen to that podcast. Here's a free plug. Anyway, I brought I, the reason why I brought all of that up. It was just uh, stories that were told within society at a certain time, mm. reflecting who in society we were being taught to fear and urban legends being born out of that. It was a really, really interesting lesson and really fun. Which, like, I think I was saying this to you in watching Captain Marvel the other day for the first time and how that's a really interesting for me in the context of terrorism migration and what we're taught about who to fear absolutely Uh, and that whole like movie is basically about that about like the way society tells us who to fear and how we buy into that and it colors our perception of people which Um, is why sci-fi stories are so fracking much fun because you get to explore these uh, really meaty issues really meaty issues without but yeah in a fun way yeah (laughs) all right so we're having a little meeting of the final four. Ty is really owning his guilt for creating the skin jobs who blew up the colonies. And Tori makes some good points. It's like, well, the humans created us before we killed them. So eh. it is all really uh, Ronald D. Moore talked about this a lot. Like he likes this sort of sharing of the blame. And Ty doing like, OK, well, you trace it back far enough and you're it's starting a germ to split blame. In half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a great line. I didn't even have it in my notes. I just remember it. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, which is fair. It's true. And I think that that's another thing. Like, you can play the blame game forever. It's not mm-hmm. really going to help anything in the here and now. Like, Yeah, no, it's the solution moving forward. Yeah. But also, you don't want to forget history or all this will happen again. Exactly. Oh. I've heard that. Where did I hear that? Hmm, it's I don't so know. familiar. I don't know. We're at John Hodgman. Welcome, Woo! John Hodgman. He's so funny. He's a funny guy. He, I think, is a podcaster as well. Should go check it out. I don't. I should. You should. We should. We all should. Yeah. Um, no, he's hilarious. I love the, just yeah. As we said before, like the genuine excitement. He's like, oh my god, this is academically just so great for me, and everyone's like, this is a tragedy. But he does it in a, a way that's really subtle. Yeah. It's it's good humor in a heavy episode. Mm. Listen, I'm not gonna get too deep into 
what exactly is going on with Sam's aphasia, but they are picking and choosing symptoms of different forms of aphasia what? that you wouldn't have at the same but time. But this show was so great about schizophrenics. I don't <laughs> understand why it would be so bad for people with aphasia. It's only because I studied aphasia somewhat extensively and I know a lot about it. Okay. And I don't think it would matter for anyone who didn't. No, I don't think it does. Even me as like, and I, I studied, I have a degree in psychology yeah. and I honestly was like, sure, whatever, that seems to work. Maybe space um, aphasia or silent aphasia. I think silent aphasia is different. Mm-hmm. Hand away. Yes, we'll just jump right over that. But it's, boy, aphasia is really fascinating. Okay. It's another thing that you shouldn't be so excited to learn about because it's tragic for the people going through but it. It's but it's so interesting. It's so freaking fascinating. Okay. This glare they're prepping Sam for surgery and they kind of wheel him out and John <laughs> Hodgman goes like it's such a clear oh, image. really clear image and she just the daggers that she serves him she just like slowly looks over and that's like the end of the scene <laughs> it's so funny it's very perfect and it's peak Starbuck it is love her this is where Ellen is woken up to a, a nice a glass of whiskey on the How rocks do I don't like to be woken up I mean, you need whiskey on rocks in the morning. Breakfast whiskey. You can't have neat breakfast whiskey. It's too much. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Hot take. We don't have drinking problems. No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So we're finally to four months ago, right around the time when the Resurrection Hub was destroyed. And we find out that that happened, but there's still something called the colony where all the old equipment is that the final five which is maybe where Starbuck got resurrected could be could be who knows Mm -hmm. and Cavill wants Ellen to go there and to give them the ability to resurrect again and she just can't do she's like you need all five of us it's not possible for me to do this on my own he doesn't believe her he's like I'll just cut your head open and find the info that way which I guess is a thing (laughs) silence can do or at least threaten to do it's pretty dark yeah, really, really sad times mm. uh, for Ellen Ty. And Sam is explaining about how Cavill was the first one they made and oh, they loved him so much and he helped them create the rest of the uh, the eight mm-hmm. Cylons. Hot take. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then everyone's like, wow. And then Starbucks like, it's me, isn't it? I'm the seven. She's being very <laughs> Gaius Falter in this moment. A little bit, but with more reason than oh, Gaius Falter yeah, has ever had. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that the Centurions had come to believe in this one true God without any other, like, inf- like that was a thing that happened for them on their own. Mm. And that was what gave Ellen hope. She was like, if we help them to create these, like, human models maybe all of this that happened before won't happen again because they found god and they're peacefulish except for because all the, we all, all know that everybody did. who believes in god is a completely moral and just person and they never do anything wrong absolutely that's fact we all know it and if you do wrong god forgives you god loves you as we've learned from guys Baltar. oh yes we're all that's perfect right. we're all perfect <laughs> <laughs> so the how they ended up with the humans believing they were human without their former memories is that John's a cunt basically which I can't say but you can I can (laughs) thank you he 
killed them. He blocked their memories. He planted new fake memories like they did with Boomer. And he, it seems, is the one who is like, we must never speak of the final five. Yeah. So he so brought now that we know. all in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we know why. Because mm-hmm. he was the one who knew everything about where they were because he put mm-hmm. them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam's talking about warnings that they got when they were on Earth about what like the shit that was going to go down he was like i saw a woman tori you saw a man which is just an interesting little detail and then they talk about uh number seven Mm. who is not starbuck or unless starbuck has had a name change and a gender 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 change change. which who knows well we don't know about that and i did i think also say that starbuck could be like a different version of daniel but i don't think that's the case i think that they're related somehow though curious Anyway, Daniel died tragically sad, sad, somehow. Sad, sad. We're going to find out more how. Well, apparently this explored a lot in Caprica as well. I know Dimo said it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We'll get there. Maybe we'll watch some Caprica at some point. Yeah. Maybe we could just do a Caprica like. Just we can watch because it's only one whole, season. Yeah. Watch the whole season and, and then, then talk, talk about, about it. it. That could be fun because yeah. I don't think it's necessarily worth doing it episode by episode. Yeah, I think it's a whole season talk thing. We'll I try agree. and get it done for you people. I would now that I've spent so much time with BSG, um, it would be really fun to revisit that series. It's sad because it seems like Ronald D. Moore is so excited about it. Oh, buddy. In the podcast. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, mate. It didn't yeah. go how you wanted it to go. No. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So Sam is being wheeled in for surgery, shouting at Starbuck like, I was there for you. on the. Dem- I shot Gata in the leg for you. And there was a mutiny. This is all a snowball effect. But yes, it's a very fair point that she should be there for him. Yeah, but also she is in the position where she's like, this information is not worth your life. And if we oh, wait more, agree. you might die. Agree, agree. But I get he's also making good points. Everybody makes good points. That's why it's so hard. It is. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. It's true. But everybody's doing different things. It's true. Whew. What a story. Yeah. Ellen goes to visit Six. Oh no no no! no that's get that's later. That's first. later. Yeah, that's the next episode. You Sorry. get the cringy, cringy, creepy. I just had scene. written quote, "Where's the booze?" And I was like, "Ellen, nope." That Salt. was tie. Yeah. And the next episode is "Where's the booze?" Is uh, Ellen's "Where's the booze?" No, this is like a really. I just wrote ooh 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 six and tie because they just do not look right. Ooh, no. different, different ew. than ooh ooh. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. It was weird. He comes in seemingly already drunk. I'm not sure and asks where's the booze and she's like yeah remember how we got rid of that he's like i've had a big few days (laughs) i'm very pregnant it was making me sick yeah Uh, but they do have a sweet little moment where the baby's kicking and this was i don't believe his love for six but i do believe his love for this baby yeah uh where it was just this like proud papa tie moment it was really cute Mm. where he's listening and feeling for the baby kicking it was he, it's, that's he's nice. here for the baby. He definitely, like, when he starts to, when he starts to interact with the baby, I believe it. But, yeah. like, when he's interacting with Six, it just looks, like, deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, no, it's forced. Which I think I don't have a problem with if that was the story. But I think that On what I have a level, problem with. On some level, I think that's the story, though. But what I have a problem with is, like, next episode when he's All like the I love true you, love stuff blah 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 but it, is does he or is that what I he feels know. like he's supposed to say i don't know anymore mm. yeah also there's different kinds of love you can have for a person i agree that they don't have chemistry but i think they're in a weird situation together and i think mm. there is love there even if it's not like 
passionate chemistry kind of love. Okay. Yeah. Ellen is drawing a picture of Saul <laughs> before she gets her brain cut open. Yeah. This thing you do. <laughs> Gavel comes in and we get, th- this is like the last bit of why all of this happened. She's like, why did you, why not just kill us? Like why put mm. us in with the humans and then do all this shit that you pulled on new Caprica and he basically is like, oh, I wanted to like stick you in with the humans so you could kind of see how awful they were. And he says, give you a front row seat to the Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, he apparently is the one who put Ellen on the transport or somehow ensured that that happened, mm. that she survived and just had fun kind of playing with them all. Yeah. And she accuses him of really still looking for their approval. Like they would get resurrected with the all the memories back and say oh thank you for teaching us how bad the humans are and how we fucked up and we should have been better do you know what a lot of this reminds me of in terms of just like how fucked up he is and like her having to reckon with it is um we need to talk about kevin i actually have never seen it i haven't seen it i've only read it Mm. um oh my god i didn't see the movie i read the book (laughs) when it was out sorry uh no uh but it's like uh the whole idea about that is like it's a woman talking about her son who was a mass shooter. Right. And like trying to go back through and like work. Ex- I mean, it's so long ago that I read it now, but it was like, she was trying to work out sort of what had happened and what she'd done and how she'd messed up. And I think a lot of this is like really interesting from that lens of like how mothers and fathers must feel when their child does something like so reprehensible. Yeah. And it's like, where did I go wrong? What did I do? Like, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was, that was kind of, it kept, I kept being reminded of that when she's like, Oh, you know, I can definitely see the parallels there. And in this case, her son destroyed all of humanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pretty heavy. Yeah, look. We find out that he was the one who killed all the Daniels because they were in their little tubs getting born or whatever. And he he poisoned the amniotic fluid. Yes. And then he destroyed the Daniel code somehow so so they could never make new Daniels. It is sad. Poor Daniel. Rip. And she's still, Ellen is still coming at him with compassion, which I think is really big in this moment where she's like, you're just, if you could just accept yourself for who you are, uh, you would be a lot less miserable and inclined to do murder. Mm. Uh, And I feel like she almost gets to him and he throws her off. Hey, Uh, white men (laughs) who keep doing mass shootings. Hey, there's, yeah, there it's, there's so much there that it, I feel like it would be too much to talk about. It's a right rabbit now, hole. We've got limited time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's interesting parallels there, though, for sure. That I'm gonna think about as we progress through the end of the series. All right, Chief put some fluorescent goo into the bones of Galactica to find out that they are rotten to the core. I didn't think he put fluorescent glue in. I thought that he just had a special shiny light. You know, he said he put some kind of liquid. Oh, okay. Like that's how you see it. Is it's like you pour um, you pour liquid in and it seeps into the cracks. It's and like then nuclear you can radiation. Shine the light and see it. Like when you, it's like a kind of um, radiation, kind of like it's it's not X rays, but like sometimes when they want to see the patterns of your body and oh, how it yeah, works, yeah, yeah. they actually inject like some kind of dye into your I've bloodstream. I've seen that before. Uh, and then they they take images of it like that uh so it's kind of like that but for the ship but yeah. is this where they start making titanic noises because i do have a note that says titanic <laughs> we noises. talked about we both made well, that like, call is this titanic it sounds like, like titanic did they just use that 
they dark like, sound. They watched it and they just like hit record <laughs> as the movie was doing the Titanic sounds. They're like, this is great. This is gold. Let's use this because it's a lot. Yeah, this show where like Bear McCreary personally records like a 50 person orchestra <laughs> for like a background for one scene definitely stole ship noises by recording well, look, them off the movie. All Titanic. I'm going to say is that Ronald D. Moore did talk about the fact that they try to do these episodes super cheaply mm. because they were saving up money for the finale. Mm-hmm. And that see that um, uh, this the set of where they are at this point when they're looking at the thing is like just behind a sound screen or something it's like a really tiny place that they uh they're at the back of the sound stage so they were trying to save money and they like found this place behind the sound uh sound stage it looked like it could be perfect for this set and they made it look really big but it's like literally just like oh that's really impressive yeah, yeah. and so they were like this will do <laughs> we need money for the finale and the they're special s- effects they're so resourceful and um he said similarly with the uh ellen escaping off the ship he was like, oh, we could have made it a whole to-do, but at the end of the day, we didn't think it was really worth it for the budget. He's like, there's a tiny bit of like the Cylons chasing and we're like, that's enough. We need to save money. So a lot of the decisions <laughs> were actually made around saving money. So maybe but I they were the noises from Titanic. It could be. I don't think they sacrificed the story. No, I don't think they it's did really either. Well I mean, this is an exposition heavy episode. Yeah. They didn't need. And necessity is the mother of invention. Yes, exactly. Mm. That's why poor people are very good at being entrepreneurial. Yeah. In the real sense, not in the, oh my God, I made so much investment money sense. And also why so many of our favorite like comfort foods are come from like the cheapest shit that you can buy. Mm-hmm. And it's the most delicious. All right. Adama is <laughs> in his bathroom again, just splashing some water on his face. Cause that's what we, there's nothing we love Adama doing more. We love than him having doing... some mirror time, but this is the thing that's like, it's supposed to be showing like it's in his home. Like yeah, it's so no, close to him. it is. He, he sees it in the mirror, like the whole thing above his little bathroom door yep. is cracked. And that's when he really knows, I think. Boomer and Ellen have... <laughs> Boomer and Sorry. Ellen. Sorry. Kaylee, I just... Kaylee turned her page and it's just this in big capital letters. I think they're hoping for a musical. Uh, in it's words so big that I can even see them from over here. Upside down yep. and <laughs> several feet away. Yeah. It's an important moment. Yes. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen and Boomer have their last little interaction uh, where Boomer's like, something about don't you feel remorse? He he hates you so much. And she's kind of like, maybe he doesn't hate me. Love kind of works like that sometimes. It does. He's expressing his love in just the most atrocious, disgusting way possible. Yes. She also uses the word tumbrel. What is it? What does it mean? Okay. So I looked it up. Thank you. Because I didn't. Okay. Uh, So it's a kind of like two wheel contraption that you can use with either a horse. So it kind of seems to me like when I heard the description, it kind of sounds a little bit like a wheelbarrow. Um, hmm. but a wheelbarrow has three wheels, but it's like similar-ish to that where like horses carry it, but they used to use them to take people to the guillotine in France. Oh, that makes, yeah. that makes So sense. I think that's what the connection was. What a interesting reference. It was a really yeah. random reference. It's like one of those things where it's like, people don't use that word, but like, anyway. I no, know. but I, I, because I am a nerd, like moments like that where you go and look it up and then you learn a fact about history. Yeah. Wow. But also I think it's cool in the whole, all of this has happened before all of it's happened again. It's always cool when there's like a reference to something like that, mm-hmm. that is like obviously like of our time, a significant reference, which obviously in their time is also a significant reference. Yeah. And the fact that Boomer didn't get it. And then Ellen's like, never mind. <laughs> 
It would be as if she call said me it today. when you've lived through two thousand years, yeah, plus, and so. you know better words. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, "Bitch, you program me. <laughs> Give me better words." Anyway, that's definitely the subtext that was implied there. Absolutely, I do love. She hems her surgical gown and says, "Like the Simons want you to wear this," which there's a bunch of Simons prepping for surgery. Oh which yeah, is fun to off think camera, about. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Simon's usually doing stuff off camera. Yeah. We also haven't seen any Dorals for a long time, mm. which I'm less interested in anyway. Uh, but yeah, I do love the idea of all the Simon's prepping. They are the surgical doctory ones. They are the doctory ones. Yeah. Um, which it makes more sense now why they all kind of have their their strengths because they were kind of designed in this way. Mm. Now that we're learning how they were specifically designed and Daniel was an artist mm. and Simon's interested in medicine. And mm. even though all the models do have distinct personalities, I think they, their strengths kind of are similar yeah. across models. Yeah. Um, but I do love that. She's like, hell no, bitch. I'm not wearing that. Yeah. No, she's like, I'll wear my gown to surgery. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I look great. She does. In my stilettos. What? an ensemble it's great it's i think she wears it all throughout dress. the episode next episode too she wears it for a lot yeah at least like the, the first yeah because she comes back in the second next episode and she's like um you got rid of all my clothes yeah <laughs> but i do love that it's like it's like a dress but it has like a matching jacket mm-hmm. they really i feel like as cavill if i wanted to make ellen feel uncomfortable i would give her shittier clothes they really they did her well i mean she's been there for 18 months she would have sewn that shit herself Perhaps. Out of curtains. Very sound music. Yes, very sound music. Mm. It's one of her favorite things after all. It's true. Is clothes. Whiskey and clothing and fracking and smoking. Oh, there we are. There we go. There's Alan Ty's song. Mm. Hashtag put it in the musical. (laughs) So, yeah, this John Hodgman character, it's like you think Cottle has like a terse bedside manner. He's just like the surgery's over and Cottle's trying to be comforting in his way and the this other doctor is like, Yeah, I feel like he should be awake by now. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of oh, you haven't really seen that much crazy ex girlfriend, but Mm-mm. uh her husband, her in real life husband plays a doctor. And he's a, he's like a doctor trying to be a comedian. And so he's like, I'm taking stand-up classes in the night because my wife's never home. <laughs> and like, he's always telling jokes. And it kind of reminded me of that, which like, obviously Crazy Ex-Girlfriend came after, but I've been right. re-watching a little bit of it lately. And it's very funny. That's fun. It's like the stand-up comedian doctor. I like that. Mm. That sounds funny. Boomer steals Ellen. She steals does. her away. And they jump away. And there is a little moment of like, oh no, the silence are shooting. But then they jump straight away, which is really what you should do. Yes, you should do, but boy, how did they find Galactica real quick in the next episode? Yes, I definitely hand wave away. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about it. it. Uh, This is Starbuck is visiting Sam, who uh, is is unconscious, and it's like, you got to wake up because your silent buddy's out here. Really trying to get some more of this good story. Ah! I think they're hoping for a musical. Well, well, final four. Well, final five, but final four minus Sam. Uh, Boy, howdy, have we got you. We've got you. We are all over it. We're all over it. Mm -hmm. It made us really happy. We were watching this episode together and we're both like, ah. Oh my god! Why is I feel seen? Why is Ishe so cold? She's so cold. like, uh, I'm sorry. Don't bother. He's brain dead. 
don't even bother talking just, to your husband who is maybe dying. I I think that they just needed that line to happen. And they were like, you just need to say it. And then she just does. And it's like, wow. She's been so compassionate this whole time. Does she hate Starbucks? You're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> Way harsh, Ty. It's exactly that moment. It totally like, is. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the episode ends with Adama uh, calling up Chief and basically saying, like, do what you got to do to save our girl. Do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Be what you got to be. And that's the episode. That is the episode. Well, we don't have any counts. as Well, well. no, we have. Uh, I did a quick, quick frat count because this episode was a pretty easy one. But so, look, it's most of the silence. We saw a lot of them. I didn't count them all. You know, there who were we saw. many silence. We it's probably easier many at this copies. point to talk about the silence that we didn't see. The Simon and Doral see. and Leoben. We didn't see. Leoben. We didn't see Leoben. Uh, and we certainly didn't see Deanna. We've got three from Starbucks, two from Adama, one from Sam. We didn't see Tori. Daniel either. Freck wise. True. Or did we? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, well, we will be back. I think we're actually releasing our episodes fortnightly at this point. So we'll be back either in a week or two. And then us in real life will be back in five minutes. Bye. Bye.